story goes something like this. There's a husband and a wife. They're both getting up. They're re- getting ready for work. And one of them, you really says something to the other, and it kind of sets the other one off. The next thing you know, they're having a disagreement. Uh, the longer they disagree, the longer it turns into what my daddy would have called a humdinger. And pretty soon, the last person they want to speak to is one another. Now, I know no one here has ever had a morning like that. But just in case you have, you, you, you might know what I'm talking about here. So they're getting ready for work, and the wife has a, a meeting. She had the dress a little nicer. She's wearing his dress to work, and, and it zips in the back, and the zipper's stuck. And the last person she wants to ask to help is her husband. The last thing he wants to do is help his wife. But there's no one else available. And so she, in kind of a snarky way, uh, asks her husband to zip her dress up. Her husband, who doesn't appreciate A, being asked, B, her attitude, and C, just doesn't want to do it, decides he's going to send her a message. And so he gets her zipper. And he zips it up as hard as he can. And then he zips it back down. Then he zips it back up and back down and back up. And he says, it's not stuck anymore. And he goes off on his merry way. But she, well, she stews all day long. She can't concentrate her meeting. Uh, she can't get any work done. All she can think about is how mad she is at her husband. Once again, probably never every day like this. Uh, maybe not a morning like that for sure. And so she just stews and stews and stews and, and it just percolates. And finally she, she goes home and, and her husband's his truck is in the driveway and there is a pair of blue jeans with legs in them hanging out from beneath the truck. And she looks down and before she says anything, she sees that zipper. She thinks about her dress and she smiles, says, it's kind of time to send a message. So she reached down and grabbed the zipper, and she zipped it down and back up and down and back up, and there was a bang under the truck, and she went in because she felt great. I mean, she was like, man, that feels pretty good. I know why he did that, until she walks in the kitchen, and her husband's sitting at the kitchen table <laughs> drinking coffee. And she says, well, what are you doing in here? Why aren't you under the truck? You know, well, I can't fix the truck, and my truck is making a noise, and that's the neighbor there, and he came over to, 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 you know, to see what was going on. Well, now she's a tad embarrassed, and she's got to admit what she's done. Her husband freaks out, because that's what we do, and he runs out, and sure enough, his neighbor is knocked himself out because he was shocked that someone grabbed his zipper pants. He forgot where he was, and his head shot up, and he knocked himself out. Now, there's three points to that story that are really important. The first is this. Husbands, if you need to work on your truck and your wife is angry, call your neighbor and let him do it for you, just in case. Number two, wives, if you are going to lash out at your husband who's working under the truck, please, please, please make sure it's your husband. And number three, and the really important thing is it really doesn't take long for bitterness to get, gain roots in your life. And when bitterness gains roots in your life, it causes us to do things we normally wouldn't do. 
It's a really dangerous thing. And, you know, the reality of life is we've all been wronged by somebody. We've all been hurt by somebody. And, and there's three kinds of hurt, right? And there's the hurt when someone does it on purpose and they mean to hurt you. There's a hurt when someone says something, they don't realize it hurts your feelings. And there's the hurt where they really didn't do anything wrong. You completely blew it out of proportion, misunderstood, and you get mad and you're hurt by what happened. But the truth is, nothing was done. Three kinds of hurt. No matter how you find yourself there, if we don't deal with it, bitterness starts to grow inside of us. And when bitterness starts to grow inside of us, it really becomes dangerous to us. This is the path of what we're talking about when we call the Christian atheist. And the Christian atheist is someone who says they believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. And one of the ways this really comes to the forefront in our lives is when we hold on to grudges, when we hold on to anger, when we hold on to hurt, when we hold on to stuff that drives away between us and the people around us. Because here's the big takeaway, and just so we say this. When we become angry with somebody and we don't let it go, we always assume it just affects that person. But the truth is, the longer you hold on to it, the deeper those roots grow in you, it will affect every relationship in your life. Most importantly, your relationship with God. But the real danger with bitterness, and this is kind of where this, I say I believe in God, but I really don't live like he's real. This is the real danger. The real danger is that we are often really cavalier about this. And very often when we've been hurt and the hurt's pretty deep and the pain's pretty awful, we convince ourselves that God's okay with our hurt because he understands how we feel, which he does, right? He understands how we feel. God knows what it is to be hurt. God knows what it is to be betrayed. I mean, God understands how we feel. And so then we convince ourselves that because God understands how I feel, he doesn't expect me just to roll over and take this. And there may be, that may be true, but there's a better way to deal with it than just holding on to it. Because the longer you hold on to something, the longer it sits in you. The longer it sits in you, the deeper roots grow. The deeper roots grow, the more it impacts every aspect of your life. The longer it sits, because you can't let something go or won't let something go, it just festers in you and it poisons you. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. When he says this in Hebrews um, chapter 12, he says this, Watch out that no poisonous root. Now, that's a really interesting word, poisonous root. No poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Not just one, not the person you're bitter with or you're angry with or holding a grudge over, corrupting many, including you. The writer of Hebrews says the longer something sits in us, it becomes a part of our DNA. When it becomes a part of our DNA, it reproduces in us. Because, you know that old, that old saying, they used to in camp garbage in, garbage out, you know, and back in the day in youth ministry a long, long time ago, that was a really big thing. You know, you talk to kids about the stuff they put inside of them. The stuff that lives in you eventually comes out of you. It's why we were joking about this the other night. I'm scared to death to ever have surgery. And, and when they put that medicine in for someone to record it, because there's no telling what's going to come out of my mouth. Because I'm telling you, but that's what happens with bitterness. 
It gets in you, and it comes out of you. And this is the danger of bitterness. This is what it does if it goes unchecked. It blinds you to the will of God for your life. It does. Can't see what God wants you to do. It's going to blind you to the will of God for his church because you can't do what you're supposed to do if you're all eaten up with something that shouldn't be inside of you in the first place. But the bigger thing is it blinds you to the consequences of sin in your life. Because here's the thing, when, we're, when we hold a grudge, when we're angry, when we're bitter, we assume it's a them problem, right? It's always a them problem. Here's the truth. It's not a them problem. It's a you problem. It's, it's, a, it's a me problem. The question is, how does it start, where does it come from, and how do we deal with it? So here's what I want you to understand up front today. Bitterness is like the flu, more like the symptoms of the flu. Bitterness is like the cough, the fever you get, the symptoms where the doctor goes, hey, you've got the flu because you're doing this, this, and this. Bitterness is like a symptom of something much greater. But it's a danger symptom. And so the question is, how do we deal with it? And so the way we deal with it is the way Jesus says to deal with it. And so Jesus gives us a roadmap for dealing with conflict. And it's conflict within the church, but it's also conflict with, with among fellow believers, okay? This is God's great idea for followers of Jesus. When you have a conflict with somebody, when someone's hurt you, when someone's wronged you, and in Matthew 18, we see these words, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. The other person listens and confesses, you've won that person back. So Jesus says, if you're looking in your Bible, uh, those Words are red. It's Jesus talking. So Jesus says, here's the deal. If someone hurts you, offends you, to the point that you just can't move on from it, go talk to them. Go, go talk to them. Because here's what will happen. If you go talk to them, you might find out they did it on purpose. And they don't care. You might find out they didn't realize they did it. You might find out you completely overreacted and you completely misinterpreted something. But you don't find out any of those things until you go talk to somebody. Until you get up, as I used to tell the folks who work for me, put your big boy pants on and go deal with what's in front of you. Because that's what this is. Jesus is saying, the way I would say it, put your big boy pants on, go talk to someone, and deal with this. Bring your relationship from here back to square. But then he says this, because sometimes you do that, and that doesn't work. You know how I know? Because I've been there. So this is what happens. If you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back. So that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Once again, let's lay it all out. You go to someone, and, and you try to get square with them, and they have no interest in getting square. Maybe you, find, maybe you find out that they don't care that they hurt you. Maybe you find out that they don't think they did anything wrong. Maybe you find out that they didn't do anything wrong, and you don't want to let it go. Regardless of how you get there, you, Jesus says, if you can't talk to somebody, you go and you take somebody with you. And this person's going to confirm the truth. That is a really hard thing to do. It's hard to take someone. It's hard to be that someone. That's tough. But Jesus says, 
That's the way to handle stuff. In the real world, they'd say that's how grown-ups handle things. In the life of the church, that's how followers of Jesus handle their, their problems. They go talk to people. Now, you may find out that it's really not a big deal, and it's all good, and, it's, and if that's the case, then let it go and move on if, if you can, and that's all right. But this is why my practice has always been, and I have yet to have to do it here. I hope I never have to do it here. But my practice has always been when someone comes to me and they are fussing about something someone has done to them. And they want to talk to me because John has done this and John's done this and I can't believe he said this and on and on. Here's I, I say, let me ask you one question. Have you talked to John about it? Nope. Well, I think before you talk to me, you need to go talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. Jesus says you need to go talk to him. So we're going to do things the way Jesus says. So if you go talk to him and it doesn't work out, you come back to me. Now, some people will say, well, that's not your job. And I would say this, that's exactly my job, to do what Jesus said. So in short, this is, this is the thing. Followers of Jesus don't talk about people. It's not what we do. Followers of Jesus talk to people. That, that's the way it works. What we like to do, what people like to do when you're sideways with somebody is go find someone that you can win to your side. Someone who's going to listen. Because the more you talk, the angrier you get. The angrier you get, the truth is, the better it starts to feel. So you go find someone to talk to instead of to talk about someone instead of going to the person and talking to them. That's what Jesus says to do. Bitterness is like coffee. Now, I hate coffee. The taste of it, the, I've tried it, can't do it. But you know what I do like about coffee? I like how it smells. It's weird, isn't it? But I'm not the only one. I bet there's people here who don't drink coffee. They sure like it when it's percolating. I like the smell of coffee. I like the smell of coffee. Don't like the taste of coffee. Bitterness is like coffee. Okay, you, you, you like the smell of it, but you don't like the taste of it. But after a while, if, if it sits long enough, you, you know it's not so bad. And, it, and bitterness starts to taste good, and it starts to smell good, and it starts to feel natural, and it becomes a part of your DNA. But I'm telling you that bitterness is just a symptom of a much larger problem. And so... And, and, not, and refusing to go talk to people is a symptom of a much larger problem, a really significant problem, a spiritual problem. And so here it is. At the root of bitterness is the intentional choice not to forgive as you've been forgiven. So just think about that for a second. At the root of bitterness is I am going to make an on-purpose decision that instead of forgiving, instead of going and talking to someone and working it out, I'm going to hold on to anger. I'm going to hold on to a grudge. I don't care. It start, it's starting to smell pretty good. I like it. I'm going to make an on-purpose choice to not forgive, even though I have been forgiven of so many things. That's the problem. If you want to eliminate bitterness from your life, if you have an issue, if you know someone who does, if you want to eliminate it, you learn to forgive. That, that's, that's the secret. Now, I didn't say forgive and forget because we're people forgetting stuff for us. Forgive. 
Jesus says it this way. We talked about this last April, so let me remind you of what Jesus said. If you forgive those who sin against you, this is, once again, this is not Jay talking. I'm just reading what Jesus said. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Now, we would, most, a lot of people would like this next verse to be thrown out of the Bible, but it's, it's there, so for kicks, we're going to read it, okay? If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Jesus is really, really, really clear. If you refuse to forgive, you will not be forgiven. And there's no, yeah, but, God, doesn't underst- God understands how I feel. There's nothing you can say to justify this. And I can tell you, as someone who's had to deal with this in my life, two major occasions in my life where I had to deal with forgiveness. Two times in my life where I just said, I, I don't want to. It's a hard battle. So let me make it really simple for you. When I refuse to forgive, God will not forgive me. Now, I just want you to think about that and just stare at that for a second. When I refuse to forgive, when I allow bitterness to grow and root in me, when I allow grudge to become a part of me, when I allow anger to, to, to percolate in me, when I refuse to let go, God will not forgive me. That's what Jesus says. And so, and then, but then there's people, we all, because we like loopholes, right? We are the loophole culture. We love a good loophole, right? And I love a good loophole too. I mean, April 15th is coming fast. I love a good loophole, but here's the thing, all right? There is no loophole with this. There's no yeah, but with this. And so when I say you jeopardize your eternity, I'm telling you, you jeopardize your eternity. Well, no, you don't. I'm saved. Well, here's what I know. Jesus says, if I don't forgive, I will not be forgiven. That's what Jesus says. There is no sin in heaven. The path to to heaven is through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Sins are forgiven on the cross. I've asked one thing of you. Forgive people. If you're my child, forgive people. That's the big ask if you're a follower of Jesus. Forgive people. Because if you don't, you're not going to be forgiven. How can you, we go to heaven if we have unforgiven sin? How can we live as a follower of Jesus if we refuse to forgive as we have been forgiven? Billy Graham Uh, His definition of forgiveness is awesome. It's one of my favorite ones. He says, forgiveness is the moment you give up your right to strike back and take vengeance. I love that. When you give up your right to strike back, when you give up your right to take vengeance, when you let go and let God. But I'm telling you, and I I can hear it, but Jay, you just don't know. And And I'm with you. I don't know. I know this. I know this is such a big deal for me that every July 23rd, I pray for two families of people I don't know. I pray for two people in my own family every July 23rd. Been doing it since 2015. It's on my calendar right now because this is a big deal. Learning to forgive as we've been forgiven is a really, really big deal. Refusing to forgive is a really, really big deal with eternal consequences.
So, look at it this way. Here's the truth. Forgiveness is not a choice I get to make. If, I, this, if you're a Christian, forgiveness is not your choice. It's not your call. It's not conditional. It's not through the lens of perspective. Forgiveness is not a choice I get to make because Jesus made the choice for me, and he made it on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he made the choice of his followers to forgive for us. He's already made, he, look, he, don't you like it when people decide stuff for you? And you, uh, you just do it or you don't? Well, if you're a parent, you better, because we do it for our kids all the time, right? We decide, we decide stuff for them, they do it or they don't, until they're old enough to do their own stuff. Forgiveness is not a choice I get to make. There's no option to it. Here's the other thing. Forgiveness is an act of your will and demonstrates the level of your faith and trust in Jesus. So here's what I mean by that. When I choose to hold on to anger, when I choose to hold on to a grudge, when I choose to not forgive, what I'm saying is my anger is greater than my trust and faith in Jesus. That's what we say. That's the deal. But when I choose to forgive, when I choose to not allow bitterness to percolate in me, to grow roots in me, I'm saying that I may have been hurt and I need to let go of some stuff. And sometimes it's not even your fault that you weren't directly impacted. But here's what I know. My faith and trust in Jesus has got to be greater than the anger that I feel. My love for Jesus, my appreciation for the cross has got to be greater than the anger that I feel feel and when it is forgiveness becomes a whole lot easier and when it's not forgiveness is really tough so if you're like me and you like things straight to the point this is straight to the point okay when i choose not to forgive i'm telling jesus that his way his way is the cross that didn't work for me that's what it means to refuse to forgive, to allow bitterness to percolate in you. It's, it's an expression of Jesus that your way, that eh, didn't work for me. Appreciate it. Doesn't work for me. My way's better. My way's anger. My way's hate. My way's a grudge. I'm going to hold on to stuff. Appreciate what you did. That didn't work for me. That is a declaration followers of Jesus make every day when they refuse to forgive as they have been forgiven. So once again, if you like things straight and to the point, let me say it this way. Those of us who've been forgiven great debts must forgive little ones. That's about as honest and straightforward as we can be. When someone wrongs me, their sin, their towards me, has no impact on my relationship with God unless it gets in the way of my relationship with God. My sins, humdingers, big ones, none of which we're going to talk about today. Some, some good ones. I'm just going to say that I'm glad I didn't grow up in the YouTube generation, and that's all I'm going to say because I'd be a star. Here's what I know. No matter what someone's done to you, no matter how painful the hurt is, it pales in comparison to what we've done to Jesus and what I've done to him. My sin sent Jesus to the cross. My sin. Not someone else's. My sin. 
and their sin, same with them. Those of us who've been forgiven great debts must forgive little ones. Many of you may remember the, uh, the story of Terry Anderson. Terry Anderson was an AP reporter. Uh, he was held in Lebanon for seven years, uh, back in the late mid-80s to early 90s. Um, he was a very outspoken Christian. His uh, fellow reporters knew that. And during his time, during those seven years, he was given one book to read, the Bible. And he read it over and over and over. That's all he had. And so when he was finally released, they had a press conference because you know things go, maybe you saw this and maybe you remember it and maybe you don't, and that's okay. But one of the questions was asked was, hey, Terry, can you ever forgive your captors? Seven years. Now, they asked that question because they knew he was a Christian. So before you hear his answer, let me give you some, some context to his seven years. 2,455 days in captivity. 2,455 days. He spent most of those days chained to a wall in a spider-infested room. He was beaten physically. He was tortured emotionally. And if there's ever been a human being that had a right to hold a grudge, it's this guy. Because he was just doing his job when he got captured in the first place. If there was ever a human being who had a right to be bitter, it was him. And so when he was asked, can you forgive? This is what he said. Yes. As a Christian, I am required to forgive. Not I want to, not a get to. I am required to forgive, no matter how hard it is. He didn't say, hey, it's all good. It's all good, man. He said, I have to. And what we learn about forgiveness from the cross of Jesus, he said forgiveness is a work in progress. Because if you study the, the, the Greek language of the New Testament, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, and you understand the tense, he said that over and over and over and over and over again. As if to tell us that forgiveness is not something you just do once. It's something you have to work towards and work at. And it's not easy. I don't know if I've ever told the whole story of how I did it, and maybe one of these days I will. In 1982, um, I tore my left knee to shreds. Tore it to shreds. It was so bad that my doctor, who was a, v a Vietnam veteran, was a medic in Vietnam, was teaching at the college, uh, was a, a, had been around for a long time, told my parents, and I quote, I have never seen a knee as nasty as this. Now, which I'm thinking if you're going to do something, do it right. Because that's what I did. I did it right. Okay. Tore every ligament to shreds. They weren't scoping back in 1982. That is, it was a long and painful recovery. And in 1982, Dr. Fleck told my parents, one day, he's going to have to have a new one. He just stopped playing things. And that, I did pretty good with that until I got to college and played basketball. So, you know, I did okay. Um, in, 2000, in 1996, I had surgery again on the same knee. I had this thing that had broken free and removed. That was the first time, by the way, I had someone my age operate on me. And that was really weird. 
I'm just telling you. That was weird. And when I say I don't want to be under, I'm kind of worried about what I would say. Apparently I said some pretty wild stuff when he came in the room and blamed him for my pain. But anyway, so, um, but Pat's a good dude. In 2014, I was getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic. I went to my orthopedic, and he used to play for Georgia. And so we would spend 15 minutes talking to Georgia football, and then we'd get right down to it. And in fact, it was so bad that Crystal, if I went with her, she hated it because he and I would just talk. And he's like, well, she's the patient, but we're just chatting about football, right? And he said, I know what you want me to tell you. We're going to just go in there, scrape it, clean it. It's going to be good, right? Yeah, we can schedule it. He says, yeah, it's not going to work. You need a new one. When? No, when? So, here's what I'm saying. When I walk, sometimes people will say, are you okay? And I'm really fine. So, I want you to understand what it's like for me every day. Imagine you have a beautiful set of tennis shoes, and in one, it's fully padded, and in one, they rip the pads out. And you wear those shoes every day. There is nothing in my left knee but bone, hidden bone, every time I step. Every time I pedal a bike, every time I ride an elliptical, every, every step I take, all I do is scrape metal. Metal, excuse me, bone and bone. Metal would be awesome. Then I'd be bionic. And there are days that it doesn't hurt, but it aches. And when you have all four seasons in one week, it aches a lot. And when it's 30 degrees when you get up and 75 degrees in the afternoon, it aches a lot. When the seasons change, uh, which I'm still trying to figure out because the seasons don't change here, but when the seasons change in where I've, every place I've lived before, South Georgia, about, for about a week of every season, it would be achy. And after I'm good, I could walk I could go months and not have an issue. I could hurt for three weeks. I never know when it's coming until it comes. And I just have to live with it. So every day I get up with the, the reality that today might be a really good day. And sometimes I hit the floor and go, okay, not going to be a great day. This is what I know. That's what it's like to live with bitterness inside of you. You never know when it's going to come out. You never know how it's going to affect you. You don't know how it's going to make you feel. But sooner or later, it's going to come out. And sooner or later, it's going to start destroying relationships. Not just the person you're sideways with, but if you hold on to it long enough and it just roots in you and starts to grow and reproduce, it's going to affect your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers. Everybody. Because that's how it works. It just lurks beneath the surface. The cause of which is a refusal to forgive. You want to fix bitterness? You, want, you don't want that to grow in you? It's really simple. It really is. Learn to forgive. Embrace forgiveness every day. Do whatever you have to do to forgive something who you think has really wronged you, whether they have or they haven't. Go talk to them. Don't talk about them. Go talk to them. That doesn't work. Take someone with you. That doesn't work. Start moving on. Because that's what Jesus said to do. Not what I'm saying to do. 
If I were saying it, it'd be like go if it doesn't work, hammer and you know just out right. I remember when my kids, when Alec was little, and this he was at church, and this little boy named Nathan, and they were they were both four. I think Nathan's a little older. They were four and five, and they're just running around after church, and one of them got mad, and the other starts screaming at one another. A minute later. All was great and good in their world, and they were playing again. Because that's what four-year-olds do. It's a beautiful thing to not hold on to anger. It's a beautiful thing to choose to love someone instead of hate someone. It's a beautiful thing to embrace, the, the, to put your faith and trust in Jesus than it is to put your faith and, faith and trust in your anger. It's a beautiful thing. And it can save your life. And it can make your life better. Those of us who've been forgiven great debts must learn to forgive little ones. Lord, it is so hard. Sometimes it is so hard to let go of things that have been done to us. It is so easy to let anger percolate in us. And sometimes that anger just starts to feel natural. Starts to feel really good. It's not your way. It's not your plan for us. After Jesus was humiliated in court, beaten beyond human recognition, his only thought for humanity was to forgive the people who had sinned against him. It's a powerful reminder of the power of forgiveness. And bitterness is a dangerous reminder of what happens when we refuse to forgive as we've been forgiven. And I know, because we're people, that there are people in our church family, people connected to our church family who are really struggling with this. My prayer is you help them to find peace and that peace only comes when they find their way to you when they embrace forgiveness. Maybe there's someone we need to talk to. Maybe there's somebody we need to confront. Whatever we need to do, Father, I pray that you'll give us the courage to do what is necessary to stay right with you. That's my prayer, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand now? We're going to have a time of decision. If you are uh, here this morning and you want to take your next step of faith, whatever that is, 